In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, as John the baptizer prepared the way for the first advent of the Lord by calling the world to repent of their sin, the Jews sent priests and Levites to question him. And they went in order to determine what authority he himself had to be calling people to repentance, what authority he had in himself to be baptized, and what authority he had in himself to forgive sins. And at first glance, it seems like a fairly innocent endeavor on the part of the priests and the Levites. So they have to find out who this guy is, this John guy, and why he's doing what he's doing, and what authority he has to do any of it. But this is only at first glance. In verse 24, we learn that it was the Pharisees who sent them to John. And this is the same group of religious leaders that constantly argue and bicker with Jesus and try to trap him. And it's the group that John the, Bap- the, John the Baptizer so famously and lovingly calls a brood of vipers. So that's the Pharisees. They're the people who think that they can earn heaven through their good works, that they can earn the favor of God by what they do, by their behavior, by their conduct. Which is why they don't really like it very much when some hairy guy who eats locusts tells them that they need to repent. So it's obvious that the Pharisees didn't send the priests and the Levites because they were simply curious. Their questions are in fact a lot more sinister than they seem. With that in mind, listen to their interrogation of John. They asked John, who are you? Who are you? Right? He confesses, I'm not the Christ. They ask, what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, no. And they ask, are you the prophet? And he says, no. So they said, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. We need to give an answer to the Pharisees. So what do you say about yourself? So do you see what they're doing here? They're pulling the old, oh, so you're not Christ or Elijah or the prophet, right? Oh, so you're just some ordinary guy that's preaching and baptizing, right? Oh, so, so you don't have any authority in and of yourself to say what you're saying and do what you're doing. Oh, so, so you're not actually holier than me or better than I am or more righteous than me, right? That's, that's what you're saying? So since you're not actually better than me, you can't actually tell me I have to do better myself. And since you're not actually holier than I am, You can't point out my sin. And since you are not perfect, John, you can't tell me to repent. Now, I don't really know the name for this trick, um, but it hasn't really gone anywhere. It's stuck around for all these thousands of years. And people still use it all the time. As pastors prepare the way for the second advent of Christ by calling you to repent of your sin and receive forgiveness for it, many will use the same tactic. Whenever the preaching of God's word confronts people with their sin, and whenever the pastor preaches with an open Bible in hand and points out the ugliness and the wickedness of the heart, whenever the preacher announces God's hatred and wrath against their specific manifestation of ungodliness, they draw this ace up their sleeve and they drop it down saying, you're not better than me, you can't say that to me. You're not holier than me, you can't say these sort of things. Who are you? Is the question. Who are you to say this? 
So you see this as visitors get angry with the pastor that stands before the congregation and announces God's forgiveness in his stead with his mouth and when he uses his hand to baptize other sinners and when he uses his hands to feed Christ's body and blood to people who are just as unworthy as he is. And so you see this as cohabiting couples storm out of churches because the pastor preaches God's word against adultery. You see this as gossipers and slanderers who break the Eighth Commandment leave in an uproar because the pastor preaches God's word that says liars go to hell. You see this as families get up and leave the congregation because the pastor practices closed communion, communion according to God's word. They don't like it. And the response is typically, well, who are you? Who are you to do this? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're God? Think you're Jesus? Of course not. You're no better than me. You're not Moses. You're not Elijah. You can't say those things you're saying. You can't do those things you're doing. You're, you're just some guy who's not holier or better or more important than me. So you're just another guy who went to the seminary, who graduated about 10 minutes ago, and we, can't, we can find another guy anytime we want. So even though this happens the most with pastors, because they're called to preach this word in uh, day in and day out, every week, week after week, and they're called to preach the whole counsel of God and to preach that word publicly every single week in church and on visits and in Bible studies. Truth is, we tend to react the same way whenever someone confronts us with our sin. When parents rebuke their children for their disobedience, they sometimes, the children sometimes respond by pointing out their parents' faults and failures. Saying, you, you're not perfect. Who are you? Or when wives confront their husbands about their anger or laziness, husbands often react by pointing out their wives' sins, wives sins against them back to them as a defense. Saying, you're a sinner too. When members of the congregation confront us and tell us what we're doing wrong that, that, and that we should change our attitude, we should change our behavior, that we should repent and amend our ways, we oftentimes respond defensively and point out their transgressions and say, look, you've done it before too. You're not better than me, so be quiet. It's not just pastors who get this thrown in their face. It's in fact anyone who is brave enough or courageous enough or confident enough to speak the word of God in the face of a sinful world. Faithful pastors, faithful parents, friends, and Christians get this all the time. And the truth is, the opposite is true as well. Whenever we're confronted by our sin, we're tempted to think this way about the one talking to us. So it should come as no surprise that when you confront the world with their sin, they readily give in to that temptation to discredit you as a person, to completely dismantle any righteousness that you think you have in yourself. So... The most foolish thing to do when this happens is to respond by trying to prove the opposite. When you try to prove your self-worth and demonstrate that you actually do have some reason to be saying this or that, uh, that, that you do have some leg to stand on, that you are maybe slightly better than they are or in a better position than they are, then you've fallen into that trap bit because by responding in that way, you're actually giving credence to the idea that you have to be better, holier, and more important than someone else in order to call them to repentance. That there has to be something in you for this to happen. You're giving in to the thought that you, can, you, that, that you cannot possibly point out sin unless you have no sin of your own. 
that you can't possibly correct or, or uh, uh, teach someone else unless you yourself are perfect and holy and blameless. But even worse than this, when you do it, you've fallen into a greater sin of self-righteousness. So what are we to do? What should we say when people say this? What should we say? How should pastors respond to these attacks? How should you respond when people say, who are you to say such a thing? Well, look at what John the baptizer did. If anyone could have boasted, it's John. He could have said, me, who am I? I'm John the baptizer, the guy the prophets prophesied about, the prophet of the prophets. I'm the guy that martyrs wish they could be, the guy who is preparing the way for God in the flesh with my own flesh by giving my body unto death, by giving my head so that Christ would be the head of the church. I'm the last prophet of the Old Testament, the first prophet of the New Testament. I'm the guy that Jesus himself, God himself said, was the greatest man to be born of a woman. And besides all that, I'm Jesus' cousin. Right? He could have said all of this, and he didn't. Instead of trying to prove himself and his own worth, listen to what he says. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Even though John was holier than all popes and priests and scribes and pastors and Christians combined, he nevertheless says, I'm a voice. It's not some false humility of his, it's the truth, and he knows it. It's as if he said, look, my righteousness, my self-worth is nothing. I don't know how to help you or advise you. What you need most is something that I don't have in me, something that I don't have in my hands or in my flesh. And it's true, I'm not Moses, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not Jesus. I can't save you. I can't make you better. I have no authority to forgive on my own. I have no power in myself. I, too, am plagued by sin and death. Don't look at me because I'm just a voice. I'm here today and gone tomorrow. But even though I can't help you or myself, I know of the one who can. And he is Jesus the Christ, the one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. It's my voice you hear, but it's his word that I speak. So leave me and turn from me and turn to Christ. You can abandon me, but don't abandon Christ. I must decrease in order that he may increase. John was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And indeed, that's what I am too. I'm just a voice. I am weak. I fail. I fall into sin. The good I want to do, I don't always do. The evil that I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm not holier or better or more important than any of you. I am not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Moses or Elijah or even John the Baptist. I'm just a guy. Less than that, I'm a voice. And I need Jesus just as much as you do. So I don't care if you discredit me. I don't care if you point out my faults and failures. If you show me my sin, rebuke a wise man, he'll be wiser still. I don't really care if you like me as a person even, right now or not. But whether you think the world of me or whether you don't give a rip about me doesn't actually matter. What matters is the word that I speak. You can live without me, 
In fact, many people do. But you cannot live without the word. You won't lose anything if you secretly don't like me. There's maybe many things to not like, but don't reject that word. I will fade away. I will expire. I will breathe my last. My heart will stop beating one day. I will be gone. I will decay, and I will turn into dust. But the one I preach of won't. My voice will come and go, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. So no matter what you think of me in this moment, or no matter what you think of me tomorrow or 10 years down the line, no matter what you feel, no matter how long your list of complaints is, fold it up and set it aside because none of that actually matters. Whatever it is about me as a person that prevents you from listening to the word, look past it and listen to my voice. The word I speak is the word of God that points out your sin. And it points out mine too. And it's the same word of God that I speak that also forgives your sin. and forgives mine also. I can't help you or save you, but I preach of the one who can. I have no good in me, but I can point you to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No matter how many times I have failed, he will not. No matter how many times I have wavered, he will not. The God you need the most is the God that I need also. We both need the same God, the God who took on flesh and was laid into a lowly manger. We both need the same God, the God who grew in wisdom and stature only to be mocked and beaten down. We both need the same God, the God who prayed for us, the God who wept for us, the God who bled for us, the God who died for us. This is the God we need and he is the God we have. We both need the baptism that God gives. We both need the word he speaks. We both need the supper he serves into our mouths. We need it now until our final day. God, our dear Father in heaven, drowned all of our sin in the blood of his son, the Lamb. Christ, our Lord, pulled out of all, uh, 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 all sin from our hearts as the nails were pushed into his flesh. Our Lord gave up his voice on the cross so that we would hear his word of forgiveness here today. And this is the God that you and I have, the God that is for us. So the next time you're tempted, you're tempted to discredit your pastor's voice because he's a sinner, Remember that God has come for sinners. And whenever anyone tries to discredit your pastor or discredit you, whenever you call someone to repentance saying, who are you, don't get defensive. Don't try to prove your self-worth. Don't point to anything in yourself. Don't try to take the moral high ground. Remind them that you indeed are nothing, that you have nothing on your own to give, that there is one who is greater than you, the both of you one without spot or blemish. You point them to Christ, to the word, to his wounds. You use the voice that God gave you to tell them that word, the word that Christ gave. Remember that even if God spoke his word through the mouth of a sinless angel, that still wouldn't be worthy enough to speak the beauty of God's eternal word. But God has chosen to speak his word to you, not through the mouths of angels, but through the mouths of mortal and sinful men. He has chosen to do this to bring shame to the devil, to mock the evil one, to bring the glory to God that he does such great things through the weak and the lowly. God uses those who once belonged to the devil too to speak his word and save others from the devil's kingdom. And this is what the Lord does. He uses what is poor 
and miserable and lonely to bring about what is great and glorious. The same God who uses the mouth of a sinner to forgive you is the same God who uses a manger to bring you everlasting rest. The same God who uses his tears to bring you everlasting joy. The same God who uses his poverty to bring you an everlasting riches in him. The God who uses a grave and a tomb to give you everlasting life. So listen to the voice that is crying out in the wilderness. Your king is coming to you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.